Hey, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Therapy Matters Podcast, your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. Good to be with you again. I'm your host, Scott Rongo, and today I'm joined by John Caselli with CERN Capital. John, thanks for joining the show today. Thanks for having me. Uh, couldn't be uh, more excited yeah. to chat with you about therapy and rehab. Awesome. Hey, John, maybe for a little context, it'd be good for you to do a brief introduction of yourself for the audience. Sure. Happy to. Um, so quick background. I've, I've been a Serent for just over 10 years and inside of Serent lead our broader healthcare platform. Um, we've been active investors in healthcare for, uh, since the start of the firm and I've had the good fortune of leading it over the last seven years. That's awesome. Well, I think you were certainly, uh, will be able to give some good insight and perspective to the conversation today. You know, as, as, as an investor in the physical therapy space and in healthcare in general, I'm sure you can attest there is just a ton of activity that's being, uh, that's happening and in healthcare, but, but particularly in the PT space, um, feels like we're hearing of acquisitions that are taking place both big and small, just on a, on a monthly basis would, would just love your perspective overall on, on the market and where it's been, where you think it is and, and perhaps where it's going. Sure. Uh, well, I, I, I won't venture to guess at where it's going because in some respects, uh, if I, I, that, that's a very difficult thing, but I will, I'll chat a little bit about, you know, where we've been and where we are today. And I think if you look at the last two or three years, right, it, it's been the era of free money. And so, uh, the, the multiples and, and people's willingness to really, uh, bend over backwards to use acquisitions for growth, um, has been incredible. Uh, and they were able to do that through cheap debt. And at this point, you know, we're, we're really kind of seeing, I'll call more, you know, it's, it's a return to normalcy is, is really what I would, I would phrase it as, as your interest rates have risen. And so a lot of, you know, the consolidators inside of the market who've, who've taken on debt just have, you know, less ability to keep acquiring new companies. And so, um, there's a little bit more of a premium on quality. People are looking for really great assets um, and companies to partner with. And, and those ones are still commanding, you know, really healthy multiples. Um, but businesses that are uh, maybe not quite as high quality or even lower quality are, are, are generally kind of just being shunned. Mm. Mm. So, you know, it's interesting if you were, if you were, a practice, right? Um, and you were really looking for uh, to have some kind of an exit, right? What are what are the questions that you would ask yourself, and what are you looking for uh, in that conversation to to get started? Yeah, and I was I was just sitting and reflecting on what you just said, and I, I should say like um, people are still active, right? And so, you know, it depends a little bit on, on what you want to do. But if, if you, as a, as a practitioner or an individual, um, is thinking about just selling their practice, there's still a really robust, healthy market there. And so while I say it's a return to normalcy, I, I don't want people to, to fret and think that, gosh, like nothing's going to get done, it's, but it is a tougher market than it once was. Um, and, and I, and, and, and you're asking the right question there, Scott, which is, you know, how do we, how do you evaluate you know, what to do as an individual and, and who to partner with, which is, which is a little bit of the question. Um, and I think there's kind of four fundamental questions whenever you're considering 
a sale of, of, of really any business, but but in particular, I think it's it's, it's incredibly important um, when discussing a practice. And so, you know, the first one is is the what is yeah you know, what will I make a little bit? You know, like, I think there's always that kind of question. Like it's a it's a simple one, which is just like, hey, how much money am I going to make in this? Uh, two, you know, and, and I think this is a really important. Like, you know, what's going to happen to my patients? You know, I think almost every practitioner I know deeply cares about the outcomes of the individuals they serve. And so having a good understanding of what's going to happen to patients is kind of number two. Um, number three is what's going to happen to your employees. Um, you know, you probably build a strong culture that's attracted great talent. There's people that you really care about inside of there. And um, having an understanding there, I think, is, is critical. And then last, and, and this is an interesting one, is, you know, well, what's going to happen to me? Um, and, and it's a really interesting question because depending on who's acquiring you, um, there's kind of different outcomes for you as an individual. And, and so those are the, the four kind of key questions that I, I would rest on. We can, we can dive into any of those if you'd like, but I'll, but I'll stop there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and I would also think about, you know, as you, as you think about maybe those four questions in your mind, right? What's the, you know, what do you make the evaluation, my patients, my employees, and then me, you probably have to also start thinking about, well, you know, what kind of um, investor are you looking for, right? Are you looking for a strategic investor, right? To where you want to be more involved, right? Have significant impact on, on you and, and what that can maybe look like, or are you straight looking for a financial investor, right? To where it allows you to give you a little bit more, um, uh, you know, uh, ownership of what you might and where you might take the business, uh, you know, and, and have more say so for your, again, for yourself, your patients, your employees, uh, across the board. So it, it's, uh, it sounds like, you know, as much as you ask those questions, you also have to be thinking about then what's the type of buyer, uh, or the type of investor that you would want to partner with. Totally. And, and I think, uh, it's interesting. I, I would tell you that the four questions we laid out feed into, like, if you can answer those four, you'll come to an answer of, what type of investor I would like to be a part of. Um, and you kind of hit the first one on the head, which is, you know, do I want to be acquired by a larger consolidator? Um, and there's a bunch of really good, you know, large, you know, practice chains out there that, that, you know, have tremendous care and, and that you can be a part of. And that's, that's in many ways, um, the simplest straightforward, although there's different, different flavors of ice cream in there. The second one is, is obviously joining with a financial sponsor. Now, what I would tell you on the, the latter is that's going to depend on scale. You know, there's, um, it is, you know, if you are in the kind of two to five practice range, you're, you're much likely to be a better fit for someone that is kind of consolidating, um, you know, a bunch of chains together. I'd say most financial sponsors, when they're when they're looking to invest, you know, there's gonna they're they're gonna have their own box, quote unquote. I mean, by box is like their investment criteria, and there's gonna be you know, oftentimes you know, minimum revenue or minimum profitability floors that they look for. Um, and so, yeah, as you, as you first think about evaluating, you know, which one do you want to go with? Which is either selling to a strategic or selling to a financial sponsor. Uh, you first have to ask yourself, like, am I a viable candidate um, for either, really? But 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 probably first as a financial sponsor. And and on that one, I you know, 
it, it would be pretty, I would say, below, you know, $3 million of profit. It, it, it's pretty unlikely that, you know, someone at a, at a financial sponsor is going to lean in. Um, and transparently, it's probably as you get north of five where the financial sponsor route uh, may be more viable. Yeah, so you then probably looking more at a roll-up strategy at that point, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And so, you know, which, which, which gets into this, like, you know, the kind of questions I laid out because, you know, not all, you know, every, each consultor has, has different things, right? They, they, they offer, um, they diff- offer, offer different opportunities. And what I would tell you is, you, as you kind of go through these, I'll hit the, the ones that will seem a little bit more straightforward at first, which is like, what will happen to my employees? And as you think about that one, like you know, the default situation, right, is they're going to want to retain all of your employees. Like, you know, this is a business that obviously requires practitioners to provide care. And so, um, you know, almost always the expectation is, gosh, you know, we're not going to be changing the people. Um, that's, that's the starting point. Now, where this gets into a little bit of, uh, a little bit different is, is probably when you get outside of the practitioner itself. Um, and so if you have a, uh, multi-clinic operation and you have, for instance, a regional administrator, um, you know, that may be a different question because those in these larger chains may already be centralizing a lot of things. Like for instance, they may centralize scheduling. They may, um, have a centralized call center. And, and so that just may be a choice they're making. And so while the staff at the clinic level is going to be, you know, very protected, you know, when you get above that, you know, they, they may or may not keep those individuals. And that a little bit depends on, on the company. You know, and I'll, I'll give you the example of, you know, if you own five clinics in Chicago and somebody that has 20 clinics in Chicago is acquiring you, they're probably not going to keep your the, the regional administrator. If someone in Chicago has 20 clinics and they want to buy 10 clinics in Oklahoma, very likely they're going to keep the person that's kind of working across all 10 clinics. And, and, I, and I share that only so that you can think a little bit about, hey, like, who's acquiring me? Where are they today? What does that mean for not just my clinic level staff, but also my staff that, you know, uh, that are across all the clinics? And so that's kind of number one, you know. On, on number two, on the patient side, you know, it's, it's an interesting question. I um, every one of the the large players in the space is very, very focused today on driving great outcomes. You know, and and partly because they understand that that's how ultimately they have better conversations with the payers, right? Is because they're driving improved outcomes, and so they're all very focused on it. And at least theoretically, if someone is really focused on outcomes, they should very much care about treating patients in a one, I think, a responsible and a caring manner. Um, because they, you know, they want to drive referrals and they also want to drive great outcomes. Um, but you know, you'll you you will have to ultimately evaluate. You know, hey, does the person acquiring do, you know, do, do their values line up? Do they do they think about clinical care in the same way that I do? Um, and yeah, this is just a learning for me over the years, which is, um, I've been into, you know, many clinics in my life where there may be slightly different ways in which that person is treated. Um, but each of them gets to a great outcome. And so you'll have to go evaluate that and see if that's what you're comfortable with. Um, but I, I generally view kind of the, the larger players as, 
you know, being on the edge of figuring out like what are the best practices to drive great outcomes for patients. Um, and so that's kind of number one and two on the, on the patient and the employee side. And I think that that leaves us kind of the, with uh, the two others, which is what does this mean to me? And uh, what, you know, what is the valuation? You know, how much money do I make? And in some respects, those, those go together um, because valuation hinges on a few different things. Yes, of course, you know, your level of profitability matters. You know, that, that's ultimately what you know, people will look and think about what you're valued on. But, you know, as an example, are you looking to retire is kind of question one uh, when you start. Um, because if you're looking to retire, you're ultimately looking to sell 100% of your business. And, you know, I would say that that will probably put a slight damper on your valuation, right? Um, it's not not material, but a little bit. In part because if you're not looking to retire and you're willing to retain, you know, 20 to 30% of the stake going forward, you're showing to the, the, the company acquiring you that you believe in this and that, you know, that you're, that you're going to be a part of it. Yeah. It also, you know, from their perspective, it, it does, it does something else, right? It keeps you bought in and you've run a great clinic to this point in time. And so, you know, there's a, a keen understanding that healthcare is still a cottage business. And what I mean by that is it's healthcare is local. And so, you understand how to build a good clinic. And while they want to bring some best practices for, from their perspective along and would like you to help implement some of them, they still know that you've built a great following and, and base and, you know, you staying around and keeping 20, 30% matters. You know, it also gets into this piece of, you know, do you, you know, you've likely already take, you know, some sort of distributions in your business and, you know, being able to keep that safe. Many of these folks, not all, but some, um, will allow you to you know, take distributions in accordance with your you know, 20 to 30% ownership in the business. So while you're still getting paid your salary, you're also getting that distribution piece. Um, and so it's just a consideration, a little bit of like, how much are you willing to leave in and do you want to keep working? Um, and it may also be the case that maybe you want to retire, but you're also just willing to keep 20 to 30%. Uh, maybe you have a, you have someone in your business that's going to step in like a number two. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the way I would think about that piece. Um, the, the other kind of factor is employment. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, how much is the company acquiring you going to kind of force fit their model onto you? Um, like, you know, um, some, right. Some, some of the larger folks have, you know, brands that are really, really strong, great brands. And that helps drive a lot of referrals for them. And so the expectation when they acquire you is that you know, you're going to represent that brand. And then there's others that are more in a, what I call like a, a fragmented model, right? Where they oh, do own a lot of clinics, but they don't expect you to kind of convert quote unquote to the brand. And so you have to kind of work through it. Like, Hey, is that something I'm comfortable with? Um, and both of them have real pros and cons. Yeah. And, and, and you have to, I think you have to think about that hard, right? Because you're coming from, if you've, if you've been an owner operator for 20 years and you make, you know, you give majority stake to an organization, right? You have to be really comfortable with what your, your role is within that organization, right? Moving forward. Um, 
you know, so it's a, it's certainly a key aspect to how, uh, you're going to, how you're going to work and live and, and be involved, you know, for whatever period of time that you're willing to sign up for, uh, post post transaction. Yeah. And that's a great point. Like, Hey, you know, what duration of time am I willing to sign up for? Um, and, and, and particularly if you're rolling equity, you know, you'll often see, um, you know, a certain time commitment you have to make. And then there may even be a way to kind of pre-plan, you know, with the company that initially acquired you, you know, a next exit. Um, and so that's just, a something to think about uh, when you're, when you're working with people. Um, yeah. But look, these are, you know, these are kind of all different factors, right? And, you know, the, the last one that we, we, that are kind of more qualitative, I should say. Now we're getting to like the quantitative one, which I think is an important one for everyone is, hey, like, what am I going to make here? Um, and, you know, in, in part, because this is in, in some way your life work, right? And, and I think everyone who's ever started a business feels this way where it's like, um, it's, it's your baby and, you know, you, you, you do care about where it goes. And so on the valuation piece, what I would, what I would tell you is, um, first, like, you know, the size of your business is ultimately going to impact your multiple, right? The larger you are, uh, likely the larger the multiple is. Um, and then, and then it, more importantly is, you know, as you go through that process, um, you know, you, you really need a great lawyer, probably number one, uh, as, as you go through it. Like, you know, if you, if you think you're going to get a deal done and not have a good lawyer, you're going to be in for a pretty painful ride because you're going to be negotiating, uh, you're going to be negotiating things you shouldn't have to negotiate. And, and, and I want to define what I mean by a good lawyer. Cause I think we all know a quote unquote good lawyer. What I mean is, Hey, I've sold north of 15 businesses that look like yours. Um, and so it's just like in the last year, they probably sold two to three practices that look like yours. That individual then understands what is normal. Um, and I think the second question is, you know, do you hire a bank or not hire a bank? Um, and I think this a, a little bit depends. Um, you know, the, the pros of hiring a bank is, you, you kind of get to do a market check and figure out like, Hey, is the price I'm getting fair? Um, what I would say is the, the con of it is, you know, banks are there to optimize uh, getting a price, but they're not often there to optimize getting uh, a partner. And so if you're selling a hundred percent, almost always you should hire a bank. Um, if you are not selling hundred percent, looking to roll, like spending the time to actually understand who you're going to be working with is pretty critical. And, and sometimes banks don't allow you to do that as well. Um, but it's a, uh, and, and then the last thing on the banker side is usually it's also a size question. You know, the larger you are as a, a practice, the more likely you are to, to hire a bank versus the smaller, the less likely you are. Um, so look, I hope hopefully that gives you um, a little bit of color on 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 all of these. Yeah. Hey, John. What? Curious. You know, this is not something that you just all of a sudden decide overnight. Yeah, I'm going to go sell my practice, right, or business, right? Any guidance or counsel on? how long in advance you should really start thinking and planning about the process and going into, um, a transaction, right? So, you know, clearly I would think that if you're, 
if you're going to make, or if you make a decision to say, I would like to have some, some kind of exit, whether it be a, you know, to your point, hundred percent, or I want to roll over 30, 40%, there's gotta be, there, there's a lot of planning that goes into that. Right. And you can tee up your business and set things up and structure it probably more appropriately, but any guidance on, on timeline to, to, to do that and to think through that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and I don't have a wonderful answer, but I'll, but I'll try to do my, so I am, when people think about, you know, selling, I, I, I would say generally for smaller businesses, so sub $5 million of profit, it's a little bit more organic than that, right? It's just like, Hey, we've had folks reaching out to us. And I personally have gone through the thought process to figure out that, hey, either I'm ready to you know, take some chips off the table or I'm, you know, I'm looking to step out of the business or bring on a partner. Because me, I want to bring a partner honestly because i got three clinics and I want to get to 10. And I know that bringing on a partner is going to you know, help me get there. Um, and I think that's more of a mental journey, you, you know, and more to figure out, like, what do you want to do? And that that's going to take however long it takes. I've seen it take three months. I've seen it take five years. Um, and, but once you get to the point where you're like, gosh, I kind of know what I want. Uh, and I think it's, it's actually relatively quick, right. In some respects, like I, you know, I bet there's not a single person listening to this podcast in some way that hasn't been reached out to by some point by one of the large guys. And so, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, do I want to you know, take that call? And, you know, there's, there's a question for them, right. Of like, Hey, do you, do you want to, do they want to engage? Um, and I think you've got also people like, you know, you can reach out to three or four and kind of be able to run a little bit of your own mini process with, with them in part because you're doing discovery on what each one of those partners looks like. Um, and so I, you know, I, and then on the, if you're, if you're really large and you're thinking about, you know, prep, that often means like, you know, trying to think through like, Hey, how do I optimize profitability before an exit? And if you're doing that, you know, that takes, you know, you're probably well north of five of profit, maybe closer to 10 of profit. And in that situation, you're, you're, it's probably being done 18 months in advance because you need to prep for six months and implement those changes for 12 so that you can get credit. Yeah. Yeah. So not, uh, not every glove fits every hand, so to say, correct. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 yeah. you know a little uh, a little bit depends on yeah each individual case. Yeah, yeah. Well, John, this is a great conversation, and I thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, look, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on here. I you know, couldn't be uh, more thrilled. And absolutely. Well, I also want to thank our audience for uh, tuning into the therapy matters podcast, your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thanks so much and have a great day guys. Thanks for listening to therapy matters. Do you like the podcast? Give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and tell all your friends about the show. Want to be a guest or know someone that would be a great guest speaker. Contact me at allison.jones at braintreeinc.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N dot Jones at RaintreeInc.com. Therapy Matters is brought to you by Raintree, therapy and rehab's favorite EMR. Raintree is the only all-in-one therapy EMR delivering a complete and seamless end-to-end patient journey from first contact to payment to patient retention. To learn more about Raintree, visit us online at RaintreeInc.com.